0: Yeah, I know there's a
1: Nicholas
0: somewhere. Okay. I'm glad you're here. We're going to start. Um, and uh, I, I, I feel like today we're, we're going to talk about some very foundational stuff, um, about the, the, the balance between uh nira, between love and awe, or if you want to translate it, love and fear. And so these are, I think, very, um, very important things to get right. And um, in terms of spiritual health and spiritual balance, and so we're going to talk about it in a very practical way, but at the same time, it will uh, involve us talking about kind of like the sort of all the mystical dimensions at the same time. So, so God willing, it will be a really good practical balance and a good roadmap for um, for balance in our in our lives. Um, before I get there, though, something came up and. And I want to address an issue because I think that uh, this is perplexing to a lot of people. And uh, I just want to give what, what my understanding is on it. And it's on the subject of judging people or not judging people. And so I think that, um, and I, I, I've certainly struggled with this myself and, and fall into this category. I think that, um, especially as we sort of like try to refine our, our, our spirituality and increase our spirituality, we feel more and more that let's not judge another person, right? And in fact, we talk about God as the one true judge. And I, that's a very, let's, let's just explore what that means, that God is the one true judge. And it's, it's a very beautiful concept because basically only God, if you want to judge someone, you have to have all the information about them. And think about it because you can't make an accurate judgment unless you've got all the information like imagine trying to do someone's taxes but you oh yeah I, i'm going to do your taxes but how much money did you make i don't know okay that doesn't matter we'll, we'll do it but no you, you need that information you know it's sort of like you're trying a case do you have, do we have any witnesses oh, there are witnesses out there some showed up some. let's just get the trial going you know so you can't you need the information if you want to make a real judgment. And it says that God is the one true judge. You know what that means? Only God in all of existence has all the, has all the information. That means that you can judge, but you will judge almost by necessity incorrectly because you are lacking information. Only God has all the information. So this is, this is humbling. Because a lot of us think, well, you know, I'm a smart guy, I'm a perceptive guy, I'm a sensitive guy. I can pretty much make a judgment. But you are—you have to know from the outset you are lacking necessary information that only God has. Okay, that's number one. Okay. However, halacha is really amazing. Halacha—it's translated as Jewish law, but that's sort of a—that's sort of a um, an unfortunate um, uh, translation, I think. Because halacha is really the divine flow. It's really the, the harmonious balance of, of all things in the world. And you want to put yourself in harmony. Like, for instance, I want to learn the chosh and mishpat, which is the halachas of business. Why? Because I want to be in harmony with your money. In other words, I don't want to bump into your money. So it's sort of like, in order to do that, how do I get into harmony? I learn the, gra- the orbital patterns, if you will, right? I don't want to bump into your wife. You don't want to bump into this person's girlfriend, whatever it is. In other words, you, you want to respect the orbital patterns of different relationships and different property, property rights, things like this. You know, I don't want to, when I'm walking to your house, like, I, I went to a Shiva house this morning, and it's sort of like I was a little bit late. And I was like, well, I'll just cut across his lawn. <laughs> I thought, you know, I'm trying to do a chesed. I'm trying to do something right now. What do I want to stump on his lawn for? You know what I mean? It's like a little bit of arrogance right now. Like, you know, well, um, look at me. I'm doing something nice. I'm showing up at your house. So therefore, I have the right to walk across your lawn. You know, let me walk five extra steps and stay on the, on the, on the pavement, you know? So, so I did, thank God. But, but the thought came to me that, oh, I'll just take the straight path across his lawn. You know, So, in other words, if you want to put yourself in in harmony with all the different energies, that's what halacha is. Okay, it's translated as law, because ultimately, if you want to do the right thing, you have to know what's the right thing to do. So, you need to see, like instructions, what's the right thing, what's the wrong thing. So, it's translated as law. It's not incorrect, but it's so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than that. So, I know in terms of my own uh, spiritual journey, one of... The turning points in my life was when I realized that the chachamim, the sages, understood me and knew me better than I knew me, right? Because I think that most people's go-to emotion is that, you don't know me, (laughs) you know, you don't understand me. And it's sort of like when I realized, no, 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 no. they actually know me better than I know me. And that self-love blinds, self-love blinds. And that's not, I'm not talking about self-esteem. You have to have self-esteem. But there's an aspect of self-love where we'll endlessly, all of us, endlessly excuse ourselves for things that maybe we aren't entitled to be excused for necessarily. You know, endless free passes on things that maybe not, maybe not. And so what's very amazing about the Chachamim is they call a spade a spade. They say, no, this is the way people are, and that's what it is. And their insights into human nature are eternal. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, they're not, they're not dated. They're not dated. So, so with this in mind, um, again, we're talking about judging, but we're going to get back to this discussion of the balance of love and awe or love and fear. Um, But, but just to complete this point. So, so you have a whole category of law um, of halacha called Morris Ayan. Morris Ayan is really, really interesting. Morris iron means like this. Let's say, um, uh, and you have this in different cultures, by the way. It's where where you want to avoid the perception of wrongdoing. So, like I heard the Chinese actually have an expression, and I thought, wow, that's Morris Ion Which is, there, they have this expression that don't bend down to tie your shoes in someone else's pumpkin patch. Do you understand? Because if I'm bending down to tie my shoes, what do I do? I'm just tying my shoes. Right? I didn't do anything wrong. But how does it look to someone else? It looks like you're bending down to steal this guy's produce, to steal this guy's crop. So that's the, that's the appearance of wrongdoing. So you see that even in other cultures, other cultures have had this insight that you want to avoid the appearance of wrongdoing. Now, I'm getting back to this idea that as someone grows in spirituality and everything like that, we also grow in sort of a utopian type of idealism. And that's not a bad thing, but again, all these things always have to be balanced and grounded in the real world as well. And we have to understand that that You see, so for instance, let's say um, I'm thirsty and I want a soda, and you know, so I'll go into McDonald's and I'll, I'll get a soda from McDonald's. I'm not, I'm not eating, I'm not ordering a cheeseburger or something like that, I'm a soda. What's the big deal? So, so what's the big deal is that if, if someone knows you, they're like, yo, check it out. He's walking into McDonald's, <laughs> right? Like, what's going on there? So you say, you get very defensive, Right you know what, he should know me a little bit better and judge me a little bit more favorably, right? Because, come on, let's, let's, let's be real. Okay, so listen to this. The halacha is, you know what, if you can get your soda, even if you have to walk a few more blocks from a, a magazine store or from a drugstore, whatever it is, do that. Avoid the appearance of wrongdoing. Avoid the appearance of wrongdoing. You know why? Because people are going to judge. Mm-hmm. Alright? Alright? Now we see that God is the one true judge. If you try to judge someone else, you'll be necessarily lacking information. Even with the simple facts, don't judge because you're going to be wrong in the end. Even with the simple fact that, that, that really we don't know, nonetheless people do it. And so the halakha goes according to the way the world actually works. And since, you see, the halakha could be don't judge, but the halakha is instead avoid the appearance of wrongdoing because people are going to judge. So here you see a beautiful, like a, a, a matrix of halakha here, where here you see the ideal character trait is to avoid judging, Right? But that's not the halacha. The halacha is, is not, don't judge other people in any circumstances. That's not the halacha. That's the advice to you, to be a more realized person is don't judge. But what's the halacha? What's the practical advice? Avoid the appearance of wrongdoing because people are going to judge. Because people are going to judge. So that's a real world take. That's the chachamim, that's the sages, telling you how the world actually operates and be on the right side of that. You see, so it's a, there's a. in one sort of like example, you see really the beauty and the sophistication of Torah because you see how one ought to be and yet the sages have taken the temperature of this world and told you how to properly align yourself with the energies of this world in the here and now to be on the right side of things. Do you hear? Yes. So it's very it's very, very, integrated. It's very, very integrated. Okay. So now, on the subject of integration, I want to talk about this, this very core dynamic that all of us have to get right right? We all have to get this right because this is our lives in serving God. This is our lives in this world, what we're about to discuss. And I want to start with an amazing, to introduce this idea, an amazing Torah from the Jikov Rebbe. Okay, remember that's the, the, the grandson of the Ropshitzer Rebbe, also known as the, the Imre Noah. Beautiful gematria, and we're going to unpack this gematria and you'll see it'll lead to all sorts of wonderful things, God willing. So he says the following, the, the word chukas, right, and we'll, we'll get into really what that means because that's that's a that's a big concept in itself But to, to sort of give you a, a just for starters a simple translation These are the category of laws which are beyond the rational in other words Why do I have to do that? It, you'll never understand it, but 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 this is this is Torah and this is this is from Hashem so These are the the laws that are beyond. And of course, the ashes of the red heifer, the paraduma, this is the ultimate classic uh, chok, you know, in the category of chukas. So so the word chukas, the gematria of chukas equals Yitzchak ben Abraham. Okay? Isaac, the son of Abraham. Okay, so... A little mysterious, a little mysterious. When you first hear it, like, what's the what's the correlation? And you'll see it's a it's a wonderful correlation. It will lead us to a very, very, uh, very focused discussion of how to balance ourselves in this world. Okay, so so the first thing that we we have to explore is is what's a chok exactly? What is a chok? So the mitzvah. Um, can be, can be divided into a few different categories. And the basic division is those laws which I can understand with my rational mind. And you'll see that these laws are, have been sort of like independent, derived on by cultures all over the world. So for instance, don't steal. I understand this is your property, I shouldn't take it. This, this I can figure out more or less by myself. Happens to also be a divine command. But, but that's something that, that, that I understand with my mind. But then this idea of the ashes of the red heifer. Okay, now this is, what, what's that all about? Okay, so, so Judaism is a, is, is, is a religion of life, but not just life in this world, eternal life. So we're positioning ourselves to not only get the most of life in this world, but also to get the most out of the fact that all of us are immortal. Essentially, you know, we don't live in our bodies essentially uh, eternally, but but our, our sense memory of who we are and our individual um, identities Survive after we leave our bodies in other words some people who are spiritual say yeah I believe in the soul and I believe in the eternality of the soul But what happens is is that after this is what they think incorrectly After the soul leaves the body, then I get absorbed in the great oneness of God and I kind of disappear. That's that's not the case. That's not the Jewish understanding at all. You are a piece of software inside of a piece of hardware. And your software, the coding on you, doesn't go away just because you've left your encasing. You remain you which is why you have a real super vested interest in getting it right now. Because the keys, like just to extend the metaphor, the keyboard, you don't have access to when the soul leaves the body. In other words, right now, you can make all the changes and get it right. But then once the coding is done, you go up into the next world and you can't make the changes anymore. So one, so one goes to the level that they earn in this world. In other words, you know, there's a there's an old parable slash joke, which is that um, someone goes up to the next world and they see, wow, you know, they they see this group of people that are in a very high place, and the person desires to be in that place with them. They say, I, uh, how do you get there? And they say, oh, you give tzedakah, right? And then the person goes, oh, you know, charity. And the person goes, wow, um, and he takes out his checkbook. He's in the next world, he takes out his checkbook, and the person says back to him, no, 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 here we only take receipts, <laughs> right? So you, you have to have already given, <laughs> you know? It's like, it not, it's too late at that point, you know? So that's why this world is so important, because this world we've got access, so to speak, to the keyboard, we can get it right before the software leaves the hardware, right? and. Um, You know, a friend of mine once said, and I I love to quote this because I think it's just endlessly relevant, which is that in the next world, we're going to have all of the answers to all of our questions, but we're not going to be able to do anything about it. Here, we don't have the answers to our questions, all of our questions, but we can still do something about it. That's, 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 so that's the relationship between this world and the next world. Okay. So, so let's get back to this idea. So, so a chok is that category of law which is beyond me. That means it's part of the divine blueprint of the universe, but it's what we call super-rational means above the rational mind to grasp, not irrational. Irrational means it doesn't make any sense. Super-rational means it makes total sense. I just can't grasp it because it's beyond my rational capacity. So let me give you a, a visualization. Can a cup of water hold the entire ocean? It can't. It's, it's a silly thought. How, what do you mean? Uh, one cup of water holds the whole ocean? It can't. So how can I, in my, in my finiteness, hold the infinity of God? I can't. I can't. And it's not idealistic to think that I can, or if I were smarter, I could. I can't. I can't. We just have to talk. We have to be rational, right? Right? You see, part of someone being grounded and actually intelligent, actually intelligent, is to understand that they can't know everything. <laughs> that's, not, that's not stupidity or giving up. That's active intelligence at work, right? So Hashem, who is infinite, exists dimensions beyond us and has useful information for us in our lives in this world that we need that we will not understand and there is no contradiction there is no contradiction you see i i love this example mathematically okay because I, i believe that this says it in a in a cogent way so parallel lines Parallel lines, by definition, you know, and you can draw on a piece of paper just one line, you know, directly above another line. By definition, parallel lines never intersect. That's the definition of parallel lines. By definition, they never intersect. However, there's something called, that's called Euclidean geometry. There's something called non Euclidean geometry, which is geometry against a curved space. And in non-Euclidean geometry, parallel lines actually intersect. So, you see, there are things that appear to be paradoxes that cannot be reconciled in this dimension. But we have to understand that's only in this dimension. In the higher dimensions, which God exists in, The paradox doesn't exist at all because the rules are different. It's a different order of reality. It's beyond this construct of reality. And it's Hashem who creates all of the realities. So they're all one within Him. So there's no contradictions whatsoever. But we should never get to a place of arrogance where we think to ourselves that because something's a paradox, therefore it doesn't make any sense, therefore I can reject it, If you've got a Torah true paradox, all it means is is that we, in our finite, in our single cup of water state, can't grasp it. But nonetheless, in the totality, there's no problem whatsoever. So now, this brings us to an understanding of the ultimate Torah paradox, which is the ultimate chok, the ultimate super-rational commandment, which is the ashes of the red heifer. Now, I'll just say this very quickly, and then we're going to get into the ashes. We know that the, the paraduma, the ashes of the red heifer, are coming to fix the sin of the golden calf. And as we've learned many times, what, what the problem with the golden calf was, like the Rav says, is that no one asked us to do it, right? We did it on our own, and we did the wrong thing, unfortunately, Right? But we did it through our own logic because we thought, okay, Moshe's gone. We got to replace Moshe. We, we made a mistake, but we did it with our logic. And so what Hashem is coming is coming to fix our rational minds with a super rational healing, taking us out of our limitations and opening us up to the amazingness of the ultimate chok, which is the ashes of the red heifer, which is a paradox it contradicts our rational mind and yet it's going to be a feel a, a, a healing and a fixing for our rational mind because it's going to align it with the infinity of the cosmos so what is this thing that appears to be a paradox but ultimately isn't so it goes like this there's something called tumas mace this is um, what's what's uh, if we are in contact with uh, the dead. This leaves sort of a spiritual um, imprint on us. And uh, in order to bring an offering to the, to the Holy Temple, um, we have to get it off. By the way, in terms of the Holy Temple, we're learning about the Mishkan now. We just did Parsha Shmini, which is the dedication of the Mish- Mishkan, which is, as we've been saying all along, the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the desert, was the prototype for the Beis Hamikdash. Interestingly, the gematria of the word Shmini is 410 and the Beis HaMikdash lasted for 410 years. So there you see a beautiful correlation between the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash. Um, so if you wanted to bring an offering to the, to the, to the Beis Migdash or to the Mishkan, you couldn't have what's, what's known as Tumas Mase, this sort of imprint of death on you. You had to have it cleansed from you, basically. So how would you do it? So they would make this amazing mixture using Mayim chayim, living waters and some crimson wool, which, by the way, may be the, the origin of the idea of the red string that people like, you know, because crimson is red, and crimson wool. So it's a, you know, it's, it's interesting that that's, that's, that's part of it, you know. Um, but anyway, so you have crimson wool, you have hyssop, you have cedar, and your ashes, and the ashes, of course, the red heifer. The red heifer is this animal which is completely red with maybe the exception of a couple of hairs and has to be a certain age because some heifers are born red and then as they get older, they get more different colored hairs. So, so you take the ashes of that red heifer and you mix it all together and, and then the person puts it on a person and then the person who gets this mixture on them, the mace, this impurity of death, is, is removed from them. Okay, so what's the paradox that we're talking about? The paradox is very interesting. The the one who prepares the ashes of the red heifer, which is this purification, becomes impure. So the thing that purifies this person impurifies the other person. Now, by the way, this is a very common misunderstanding and so let me just tell you bless, you, bless you. which is that the one who does the actual sprinkling does not become impure. Right? People take it a step too far. People think, oh, oh the, the sprinkler becomes impure. No. The sprinkler does not become impure. It's only the people who prepare the the the, the, the formula, so to speak. That they become impure. Now I shared this uh, many many years ago, with Rech, Reb Shlomo, because this is something they say, like even Shlomo Hamelich, the wisest of men, couldn't understand how how this dynamic could exist. That something would simultaneously um, impurify and purify, right? And so maybe this is more on the level of of of, of Drusha, I don't know, but I I did come up with a, a an explanation. I'm not saying this is the explanation, but an explanation. And by the way, in Torah, even if you're told that you can't understand this, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to try to understand. <coughs> That's Torah, you know. But again, but you also have to remain cognizant of your limitations at the same time. But it doesn't mean you aren't supposed to delve into it and try to try to understand it. Okay. So let me just give you, in, in my own life, my own way of relating to this paradox. And then, again, we're going to get back to this gematria, which is that chukas... Remember this, what we're talking about right now, the paraduma, the ashes of the red heifer, which is the ultimate hope. kukas <laughs> equals Yitzhak ben Abraham. Right? So we're still a far away from, from unpacking that gematria, but, but just to remind you what we're, what we're doing right now. So let me just try to explain this uh, paradox uh, on one level, on a simple level. So I know in my own life, um, not growing up in a, in a, as a you know, in, in a Torah-observant way, but taking it on um, as I looked more deeply into life, um, I can tell you that there are things that I did which were impurifications, things that, that were what we would call mistakes, right? And yet, those mistakes, ultimately, because I looked into them, and I, I looked into, what, well, what path does... That those activities lead to, and things like that, that those impurities led to my own purity. <laughs> right? To the extent that I can call myself pure, but, but I'm saying on the right path. Right? Those mistakes actually were purifications. But if I took that thing that I did, that whatever it is, that, that wrong thing that I did, and I had you do it, for you it may have just been an impurification <laughs> It may not have helped you in terms of your journey, right? So seemingly that which purified me could impurify you and vice versa. So because all of us have different paths that our soul, different tikkunim, different fixing that, that, that our souls need. And so we have to go through our own unique experiences to learn from. And we can't necessarily swap them. Because they won't be as purifying. They may just be impurifying in the long run. Um, so, so anyway. So this doesn't make sense to us in this dimension. Like, so to speak, there are parallel lines in this dimension. Like, it will never make sense. These two thoughts will never meet up. How the one who, pre- who prepares these ashes which purifies, becomes impurified, and yet you become purified? How could this be? Okay, we can't ultimately wrap our mind around this in this dimension. But in the higher dimensions, in the super rational dimensions, 100% it makes sense. And there is no contradiction. And God gives us access through the Torah to places that we can't reach with our own rational mind. And he allows us to benefit from those things in our life right now okay? But we have to stay open to those things. You see, how can a finite person be at one with the infinite? That means that the finite person has to open themselves up so that they become a vessel for that which is beyond them. Now, that means a muna. That means a person has to be in a place of belief, and that belief opens them up. And the Jacobi Rebbe compares this to someone who goes into a mikvah. If you go into a mikvah, you need to go have full immersion. If you're in a mikvah and you have your hand sticking out of the water, it doesn't kick in. So so belief is is an immersive construct. And so when one immerses themselves in belief, one opens up their finite aspect and opens themselves up for the infinite. And that's where the hukim, right? The, chukos, the, the, the the these super-rational commands, can now sort of move from this you know, metaphysical place, which is beyond us, into our lives in a practical way, and now I'm bridging both worlds. I'm bridging this world, and I'm bridging the beyond. And I'm benefiting from that which I'll never be able to arrive at on my own. So I'm in balance, I'm in balance. I'm harmonizing this world and the next. Okay. Why? So, because I need it all. Because I need it all, you know? I need it all, I need it all. I can't, I can't, you know what? I can't just live on carrots. I need it all, I need it all. And my soul needs it all. And my soul has vitamins that it needs, that it's not going to get just from this world. You understand? I've got, I've got muscles, so to speak, in my soul that will never get exercised unless I can connect it with something that's going to be the proper equipment for it. And the Torah has the formula for the complete regimen for the perfection, of an, univ- for the perfection of, uh, of an individual and for the rectification of a complete soul. That's what the mitzvahs are. That's, well, that's what we're lines. doing. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's so, so let's keep on going. Okay. So, so, so again, let's now revisit the gematria because now hukas, this category of laws, which are super rational... I now want to give a more sort of um, free translation to right? I want to call it transcendence, all right? And I think that based on what we're saying, that that is a good translation, okay? Because it's talking about going beyond yourself, but at the same time maintaining yourself, right? Which is what we all want to do, right? In, like in a marriage or whatever it is, you... You want to go beyond yourself, but at the same time, you don't want to completely lose yourself. Right? That's that's the balance. And it's true with us and God as well. Right? God gives us a body to be in this world. He gives us drives and motivations to be in this world. But he also wants us to incorporate the totality of existence simultaneously. Okay. So, hukas will translate as transcendence. So now let's revisit this gematria from the Jehovah Rebbe. Chukas is the same number as Yitzhak ben Avraham, Isaac the son of Abraham. All right, so what's... <laughs> what is that? Okay. So this is, I want to say, a mathematical formula for transcendence. Okay, since transcendence is chukas, right? So how it equals what? Abra- Isaac, the son of Abraham. So how is that going to help me to be transcendent? Okay. Now we're going to get into more nitty-gritty stuff, more practical stuff. Okay? So, so our, our, our sages teach us that in terms of um, avodas Hashem, serving God, that there are two main attributes and these are known as the wings of the dove. Okay, so if you want to fly, if you want to soar, you need two wings. And these two wings are called ava, love, and yira, which we'll get into the, what the translation of yira is in a moment. But but it can be translated as awe or fear. Okay, so we need ava, and we need yira. Those are the two wings of the dove. And they have to be properly balanced. Okay? Now, just to finish the Gematria for now, Mr. Love in the Torah, right, is Avraham. Avraham is Chesed. And Mr. Yira, Mr. Fear or Awe, is Yitzchak. Right? Yitzchak is Din or Gvorah. So we see that they, Isaac and Abraham, are the two wings of the dove. Okay? So that's Yira and Ava. So so now let me give a free translation to this gematria. Chukas, transcendence, equals Abraham and Isaac, love and fear balanced together, working together. If you want to transcend, if you want to fly in the upper reaches of Avodas Hashem, of serving God, of being balanced, of being integrated, of being complete, You have to balance Ava and Gira, okay? So now how can we do that, and which comes first? And which comes first, all right? So now, very important stuff now. Now let me just tell you, in terms of one's own spiritual maintenance, it's very important and very practical what I'm telling you right now. You can do a checkup on yourself, on, on where you're at in life, okay? Self-exam, okay? This is how you do it. You don't have to stand in front of a mirror. You can keep your clothes on. <laughs> All right? This is very simple. Um, and you say, you, say you, you look at your actions and, 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 and you think through the following. If, if someone is feeling in a place that, you know what, if I make a mistake, whatever it is, God is going to zap me. And whatever it is that, oh, I'm, I'm working to get this. Oh, I did this. Now I'm never going to get it because God is going to take it away from me because I did this, right? Whatever it is. This is too much Yira. This is too much Yira. A, a person is living in this fear-based relationship with God. And what they need at that point is more love in their relationship. They have to understand that God loves them. God loves them. Remember, it says that, how does God feel about each and every one of us? Like parents who only have one child and have that child in their old age. Can you imagine? Parents who only have one child, who have that child in their old age, how much they love that child? That's what it says how God loves each and every single person in the entire world. Right? You know, the Carlina Rebbe says, he says, "I wish, I wish, that I could love the greatest tzaddik, the greatest holy man, as much as God loves the lowest Russia, the most wicked person in the world." Right? So God's love for us is phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. I heard Reb Shlomo say that when we say Solam in the prayers, we before Shema we say Solam. So it's, it's translated in English in a really, like a very kind of, I don't know, I don't get this translation, with an eternal love. I don't know what that means, with an eternal love. I guess it means that a love that won't go away. Right? But um Reb Shlomo says, no, you know what avasolam means? It means God loves you with all of the love that he's ever loved in the entire world. <laughs> I mean, wow! It's a lot of love. A lot of love. Okay, so you need, if a person feels like, you know what, I'm going to get zapped every moment, they need more love. They have to just really contemplate how much God loves them. All right. All right, now let's take another case. This is a person who goes, ah, I don't have to keep this. I don't have to keep that. I don't have to keep this. I don't have to keep that. You know why? Because God loves me so much. That person that person needs some more yira in their life. That person needs to understand, yo, God is God. He made the whole world. He's got a plan. He's asked you to do something, right? You see, there are people who are like, imagine, tell me how this sounds to your ear, okay? You're standing before the king, like, I'm not talking about a Shemna, I'm talking about an actual king, right? right? In this world is what I mean. So you you know you're you're summoned before the king and the king says um uh, and the king says to you will you will you please bring me um a cup of coffee right and you're like wow you know that's that's a big deal if the king if, first of all if you ever got in front of a king and if a king ever made a request to you that is a major deal you know most people went their entire lives without ever getting close to that right. And then you come back to the king and you hand him a toaster. <laughs> you're like, you know, I was thinking about it and more than a cup of coffee, really what you need is some more fiber in your diet. And it's sort of like, I could get you some toast, but if I got you a toaster, then you know. So, you know, I, it's like a lot of us, that's, that's, how, that's our relationship with God. Really, when God says, you know, this, really what he means is whatever I want. You know, it's like... So that person needs a little more Yira. That person needs a little more Yira. Again, the wings of the dove. You want to be, you want to be balanced. You want to be balanced. Um, so, so this is really important. And we can look into our own lives and our own actions. And, and, and you can adjust. You can adjust. And at different stages in your life, you're going to need different amounts and even in different stages during a day or 24 hour period you're going to need to adjust and you can be sensitive if you're in tune with your own actions and with your own feelings you can you can calibrate your your relationship with god and you can just try to stay in this really balanced wonderful place okay so now let's go deeper the question is what comes first all right and i i I'd like to say the following. You know, if you want to see where this phrase comes from, Yitzchak ben Avraham, right? Because that gematria, which equals hukas, right? Transcendence. That, that's from the beginning of Toldos. Parshas Toldos. It says, It says, Ve'eli todos yitzhak ben Abraham, right? And these are the chronicles of Isaac, the son of Abraham. And then it goes on, Avraham holid es Yitzchak. Abraham gave birth to Yitzchak. So, first Yitzchak, which is Yira, right, is mentioned, and then Abraham, then love. And then the same verse continues and mentions Abraham's name, love first, and then Yitzchak second. Mentions love first, and then Yira second. So, from this, and just from my own learning and my own life, I see that there are two different ways to arrive at Hashem. One is from a place of Yira leading into Ava, and another is of Ava leading into Yira. So what are the pros and cons of both of these approaches? And once we've arrived at after the first cycle... Because, by the way, this is an infinite cycle. Then you go from ava to yira, and then that gives you, you know, a higher yira, which should lead to an even more refined ava. And it's endless cycles. Up, 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 up. Okay. So I think, at this point, we really have to give ourselves a clearer, better understanding of what yira is, right? Because I said that it's simultaneously translated as awe and fear, let's figure out what it is, okay? Um, This fear fear translation is really um, one of of the many, many examples of uh, just the bummer of of translation. And and I I always like to just remind people that um, once a year we actually fast. We have a fast day. Now, it's, it's, it's more famously for another reason. This is the 10th of Teves. Um, because it's when the the walls of Jerusalem were first uh, sort of like impacted, like a hole was first made in the in the walls in in terms of the road toward the destruction of the Holy Temple. So this is one of the turning points, the tenth of Tevez, when the walls were breached. But if you look at the reasons why we fast on the tenth of Tevez, one of the there there are other reasons why we fast that day. One of them is because the Torah was translated. And they compare that to a lion being put into a cage. And what, what happens is when you translate, you impose an alien theology onto the Torah. You see? Because words are very powerful. Because how can I communicate with you? You see, see, each one of us, this is something that's very important in terms of understanding the human condition. Every single one of us has our own private dictionary. You know, there was a a time until around approximately the 1600s or something like this, where there was no dictionary. And so people would spell words however they liked. You know, we think, we take for granted that, oh, you misspelled that. But there was a time when there was no such thing as misspelling something. There was no accepted, proper way to spell a word. So public could be... P-U-B-L-I-C-K, which is not how we spell it. But at a certain point, Samuel Johnson puts out a dictionary and he standardizes, he standardizes spelling, right? But we still live in a pre-Samuel Johnson mindset, (laughs) meaning to say that when the, the most charged, most important words the most charged, I'll repeat that, the most charged, most important words in your life, everyone has a different definition for. And so what's so horrifying, really, is that you can have conversations with people and I guarantee you you're not communicating. I guarantee you you're not communicating because they're using words like good, <laughs> wow, Let's talk about good. We can talk about good for the next however long. Because you've got a completely different association with the word good than, than anyone else. Bad, for sure. Right? Right? Wrong? God? I mean, the most basic words. The most basic words of existence, everyone's got their own definitions for. And so you'll have conversations, like I'll tell you, you know... My dad was a psychologist and was a very, very sensitive person. My mother also, hugely wonderful, fantastic person. And when um, they told me about a disagreement that they used to have, until they figured it out, and what I love about this, even though it caused some pain, um, what I love about it is that it's just like you just, you just kind of get how people are in different worlds and they think they're communicating. So, my mother would say to my father, would you like to go to the movies? And my father would say, no. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, now let's, let's just... over the movie? Yeah. <laughs> let's just understand it. Let's just understand what, what's going on here. My mother was asking my father to the movies. Would you like to go to the movies? This was sort of a... A love offering, a, 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 a date, a, a pr- proposing a date to him. Would you like to go to the movies? Right? Meaning, would you like to spend time together going outside and we'll enjoy each other's company at this other place? What my father heard was, are you in the mood for a movie? <laughs> would you like to go to the movies? And my father was like, yeah, hey, you're asking me a question. Am I in the mood? I'm not in the mood. <laughs> So he would say, no. So my mother would get hurt because my mother would feel rejected. Right? And my father wouldn't understand like why all of a sudden she's acting in this like distressed, upset way because what did he do wrong? She just asked him like a question, a simple question. And he just answered a simple question. So I, like I say, the reason why I like that story so much is because it's so mundane, and yet you see how the simplest the simplest bits of conversation can be viewed radically different, di- di- in di- diametric opposition, right? This is why relationship maintenance is, is so challenging, why relationships have to ma- be maintained, and you have to always make sure that you're actually communicating. So... So, so, there's so many different definitions um, of, of, of words that we carry around. Like, imagine the word good, right? See, good is interesting because let's say you grow up in a household where someone says, good job, right? Then you're like, wow, if I hear that I did a good job, then, okay, then I feel really good, right? Then, then, um, then imagine uh, there's a, uh, someone else says when you're growing up, right, someone says, good job, like totally sarcastic, right, then it's like, oh man, right, so, so then imagine you grow up, and, you know, you've worked hard on this, like, thing for your boss, and the boss says, said, the boss says, it's good, and walks out of the office, <laughs> and you're like, Depending on how you're, you've you been hardwired for that word, you're either like, yeah, it's good. Or, oh, it's good. didn't say it's great. You didn't get it. It's only good. Uh, like, where do I stand? I messed up. Or, yeah. You know, it's like, so this is life. This is life. So when you translate the Torah, now all of a sudden you're getting into a place where you're opening it up. To in a whole new quantum level of misinterpretation. All right. So, so now this word fear. There's so many people who hear fear God, right? And they're like, Holy smokes! I can't get away from you fast enough, <laughs> right? But what are we talking about? We're talking about this exalted quality of Yira. Yira is like, okay. So so now let's get into the Torah conversation. So. So yira exists as there's lower yira and there's higher yira. There's two aspects to yira. Okay, lower yira is fear of punishment, and there's a role for that, by the way. There's a role for that. One should have that as an ingredient in their psychic makeup, but it shouldn't be the dominant. Shouldn't be the dominant um, perspective, but it has to exist. But then you have what's called the higher yira, which is translated as awe. So now you say, oh, now I'm beginning to understand why this is translated different ways. Because it can be translated as fear or awe. But fear is lower yira. And then awe is higher yira. So what's higher yira? Higher yira means that I see myself as standing in the king's palace, and I look around, And it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. And I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to track mud into it. I don't want to knock over like precious vases. I don't want to do anything. In other words, words, I value my relationship with the king so much. And I see his majesty so revealed that I don't want to mess it up by, by acting incorrectly. I want to respect this dynamic because I see the majesty of God. Okay, so now the question is, now that, now, love of God, that I think we have a better handle on. We don't have to discuss so much. So now the question is, because remember, I read you this Pesach at the beginning, this verse at the beginning of uh, Toldos, Parsha's Toldos, and first comes Yitzchak, and then comes Avraham, and then in the same verse, then comes Avraham, then comes Yitzchak. So, How how am I to proceed in terms of my relationship with God? Do I proceed from a place of Yira? That I see the majesty of the king? And then as I contemplate his greatness, my love starts to bloom and my heart starts to open up. And I go, I want a deeper relationship with this awesome, awesome God. Right? Or... Does it start with, wow, God, I love you so much. I love you so much. And then it's like, I want to get to know you better. I want to get to know you better because I love you so much. And it's like, whoa, your resume kind of keeps on going, doesn't it? It's like, oh, wait a second. This is not a simple, this is not a simple relationship I'm getting into isn't quite awesome who you are. I've got to be in a little bit, I've got, well, perhaps we're not peers. (laughs) Perhaps, (laughs) perhaps it's a, you know, it's still a love thing, but let's kind of like recalibrate because you're beyond, 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 right? And, And so, so, so which is better? So I think that, Everyone has their own path. And so I don't think you can say one is better than the other. Because, like in my life, just because of the way I was raised, it started from this Ava place, this love place. And then as I wanted to increase my relationship with God, I all of a sudden got turned on to this Yera thing, which was like, whoa, okay. Like I remember, and I'm talking about myself right now, I'm just telling you a chapter from my life. I was actually living in a house up in the Hollywood Hills with a bunch of comedy writers. We called it the Institute of Higher Leisure. (laughs) And uh, I remember just like lying on my bed, contemplating for whatever reason, I never questioned that God gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai. Never did. But I was just kind of thinking about it, and it all of a sudden hit me. You know what? If God gave us the Torah... That means I have to keep it. Like all of a sudden, it's like that hit me like a like a thunderbolt. Like that, that might sound a little bit obvious, but to me that was very not obvious. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, wow, okay, I gotta really kind of rethink this. That was like a big eureka moment for me. But it was born from Ava. It was born from love, you know. So in terms of the way. And in different ages, in terms of Jewish history and things like that, different rhythms are going to kick in depending on where the generation is and what the state of the exile is. So, so for me, it was Ava and Tiyira, right? In terms of a more classical upbringing, meaning to say where someone grows up in a religious family and it's sort of like there's more kind of like um, stability and things like that, Well, you go, okay, well, you have to do this. Why should I do it? Because that's what you're supposed to do. Okay, okay, okay. You know? And it's sort of like, so, you know, you get it into this, like, do this, don't do that. Why Why can't I do it? Because you're not supposed to do that. All right, all right, all right. So, you know, you sort of get your actions in the proper order. And then hopefully, hopefully you survive that stage of your life, which is which is not a guarantee, by the way. You, hopefully you survive that stage of your life and then you start looking into things more deeply as you can understand as a more intelligent adult and you start looking around and you go wow wow god is like you know god isn't just about don't do this and do that and don't do this and do that god is way beyond that and that all of these things that i'm supposed to do or not do are all for my benefit and are all sort of like basically giving me rocket fuel for eternity Right? And then all of a sudden, this Yira blossoms into Ava, into love. Right, And as you're able to look more into science and into mathematics and into nature and all things like that, you realize, wow, God is so vast. you know. But at that point, you're in a more formal relationship with God, and then it blossoms into a love thing. So it depends how a person grows up. And it depends upon the age of Jewish history that a person is born into. In terms of which way they get first. Now, let's say all things being equal, what would be the more ideal model? Because it seems like the Torah itself is voting on that. Why? Because it says, "Ve'elei todos Yitzchak ben Avraham. It's starting with the year. It starts with the era first, and it would seem that the, the the Torah is is voting there. And in fact, I saw from the Me'or the Chernobler Rebbe, one of the greatest tzaddikim, that in fact, that that is the ideal path, that that, that, that true love actually emerges from the Ava. All right? So now, let's start you're, from... Right, you're, oh, you're, I'm sorry, you're, you're right. That, 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 that first comes the Yura and then the Ava. Now let's figure out why. Let's figure out why. And again, in terms of our own lives, however we get there, that's the right way. However we get there, that's the right way. But let's compare the two, because once we're there, once we've gotten there, let's actually analyze our own relationship and do a checkup on our own relationship so that we can proceed in the most ideal way, right? Because, you know, you can stumble into a party, right? But then, so, wow, I can't believe I got here, but now I don't want to, like, stumble into the right? Into all the guests. I want to at that point, like, walk in a normal way. Like, okay, now that I'm here, let me figure out where I am so that I can be appropriate, right? Okay, so, so now here's, here's the advantage of Yira first, and then Ava. Here's the advantage, okay? And I've shared this story with you before, Not, not so often, but it's a it, it was a big. It was a big moment in my life, so I want to share. So, my wife and I were staying with a couple in in, in Manhattan, in New York, and um, they were very hospitable, very nice. They were also a young couple, and uh, and they said, "Look, here's a key to our apartment. Go in and out as you like. Just you know, you know, just whatever it is." And so we were comfortable and. We we went in and out, and it was very centrally located. It was on the Upper West Side, so it was really convenient for us, and it was very nice. And that Shabbos, they 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 had a, a bunch of people, and um, they uh, thank God they're, they're they're blessed with a number of things, including uh, you know material uh, substance, and the, the, the table was a long table with a beautiful china, and crystal, and silver, and really, it was really very elegant, and there were people over, and the host was sitting at the head of the table, and he's a, a very quiet guy. So I was in a very boisterous mood, and I was very upbeat, and so I was doing most of the talking, and I was I was telling stories and jokes and Torahs and things like that. And, you know, people were, you know, responding and, you know, it was all very enthusiastic. And I had been staying at that house anyway. And I remember after the meal, I, with the host, I walked the guests to the door and I thanked them for coming. (laughs) 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 And at that moment, it was, I was humiliated. I was humiliated because. Here, I'm a guest in this person's home, and I'm acting like I'm the host. Uh It was a very humiliating moment for me. And then I thought, here we are guests in this world, and how often are we acting like we're the host? So, so, To me, this is a real formula for Yira. Yira means that ultimately, this is not my world. This is not my house. I'm a guest in this world. I'm a guest. And the host, Hashem, who made this world, has certain house rules, if you want to put them in a very mundane way. Right? And they're coming from a place of love. But nonetheless, he's asking me to behave in a certain way in, in his home. So, so this is Yira. This is a foundation. This is, this is a foundation to say that I didn't make this world. God made this world. And if God has certain expectations for me or certain rules, even if they are annoying to me, or even if I disagree with them, maybe even violently disagree with them, but, but nonetheless, I respect the fact that they're coming from the one who made the entire world and who made me, and who's keeping me alive this moment. And also, from a recognition, like just like a cup of water can't hold the entire ocean, I can't fathom all of God's reasons for all of these things. I just have to be real. So, once that, remember, Hashem says to Adam Harishad, says, name the animals. Right? That's in the Torah. But then, there's one extra line to that story, which the Medrash says, which is not in the Torah, but the Medrash says. The end of that is, Hashem says to Adam, and what's my name? Right? It's a big moment, right? Mm -hmm. And Adam says, Adoni. My master, right? Adam was not humiliated by the fact that there's someone over him. That just is what it is. It's what it is. It's just reality. So it's like I mean I want to be real more than anything else, right? So that's reality. He says I don't need her. My master. So this is Yira. This is. This is why I think the Torah puts Yitzchak's name before Abraham's name. Because let's be real about what the power dynamics are to, to get a little, you know, to get a little corporate on you. <laughs> but also, you know, but, you know, just to say it like it is, you know? Let's, let's, let's understand what the actual hierarchy is. And then from there, once I'm in a real place... Then I'll blossom into this love place. That seems to me to be the more stable foundation going forward. Mm -hmm. Now let me just talk about the other side of it also. And again, I'm telling you, I came to wherever I am today from starting with love, not starting with here. Not like what I just said. Not like what I just said. And I'm very grateful for being able to have been offered this path into Torah, because if I had only been offered the Yira path, I don't think that I would have ever have come forward. You know, and part of the greatness of Reb Shlomo, Karlbach is that he opened up all the gateways and all the paths of love in order for people to come and to get close to God. You know? But, but in terms of maintaining a, a stable relationship with God, an integrated, healthy relationship with God. You see, love is a very quixotic, it's a very kind of like, I love you today, hate you tomorrow. Love you today, I like you tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I like you today, I love you tomorrow. You know, it's like really weird. It's like a very, very imbalanced kind of like energy right? And so if my Yira, if, if it's sort of like there's love as my foundation and then Yira, and then my recognition of God for whoever God is, right? If it's all founded on my love and my love can change any day or go away completely, then the whole Yira also falls apart with it. Or the year gets transformed or transmogrified. That's a fancy word. That means turns into a monster, right? then the year can get transmogrified where it's sort of like not just God as my master who loves me to, to pieces, but God as my opposition, right? Who's stopping me from doing everything that I want to do, right? Because the concept of God doesn't go away just because the relationship changes, right? See, it, it, it's, it's intense, right? So, so just, to, just to look at it again, however... You access the relationship. If you access it through Yira, great. If you access it through love, fantastic. Fantastic. I know that was the story in my own life. But then, once you're at the party, so to speak, try and figure out, okay, going forward, what is the ideal model for a lasting, healthy, integrated relationship? Right? Because... I want my marriage to last, right? I want my relationship to be a healthy relationship. That's what I want. So what can I do to ensure that that's the case? And so with that in mind, I think that the year into Abba, and then remember, all of these are endless cycles because let's say I start with Yira and then that year opens me up to a great love and that love makes me want to be even more mindful of the other person, which leads to a new... Understanding of Yira. And then the greatness of that person makes me love them even more. So it's a spiral that goes up and up and up and up and up and up and up. And so, and so, and then we grow in our relationships. And, and, and that's the idea. So, so we'll just finish up with a reminder that Hukas. Right? That, that, that category of laws, which is the super-rational, right? And remember, paradoxes in Torah, like the ashes of the red heifer, that which impurifies you, and then purifies me, right? And vice versa. That, these are only paradoxes in this dimension. But in the utmost dimensions, they're not. And if a person wants to fly to those higher dimensions... And God gives us access to that divine wisdom and allows us to use it right now in our lives in the here and now. These are the, these are the chukas. These are, this is, these are the greatness of these super rational commandments. Like shotnets, not mixing wool and linen. Like, what sense does that make? Well, you'll never understand it, but it makes perfect sense. And God is giving you like the cheat sheet to reality. Like, here are the answers. <laughs> you got the answers right now. But am I allowed to have those? No, you're supposed to have them. <laughs> I'm giving you this to help you. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Right? So, so chukas, which is transcendence, we're, we're translating these categories as transcendence, equals Yitzchak ben Abraham, love and fear together. The two, the two wings of the dove, which allows me to fly to the greatest heights of service. Okay, have a great week.